Hi everybody, the episode that you're about to listen to has been available for about a week now. Of course, it's only available on patreon.com slash rundownwrestling, but yeah, why didn't, why haven't signed up yet? And why didn't you listen to this a week ago? I mean, I just got one thing to ask you. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Troy. It is the May 17th, 2022 episode. Hey, we got a big-ass show tonight. We got Zion Quinn versus Wesley, the two other matches in the breakout tourney, as well as the Creed Brothers versus the Viking Raiders, plus our main event is Santos Escobar versus Tony D'Angelo. Let's do it. By the way, fucking called it last episode, Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes take on Cameron Haha Grimes and Solo Sokoa. Trick Mello arrives first. Carmelo tells Solo to shut up about having next because he's got current. Trick says that Cameron got lucky and Mello says that he is the rightful A champion. Solo and Grimes arrive out next. Grimes and Solo both take out Trick. Finally, after some skirmish, Solo and Trick are in the ring alone. Solo starts kicking the shit out of Trick and drops him with a body slam. The crowd starts chanting Uso because fuck them. I guess I should explain a little bit more. His name isn't Uso. He is related to the Usos, yes. His name is Solo Sokoa. Chanting Uso at him would be like chanting IRS at Bray Wyatt. Like, come on guys. He's, he's clearly trying to make a name for himself. And it's, it's, he doesn't interact with you when you do that shit. He interacts with you when you chant solo, because it's his name. Yeah, man. It's a bummer, because that's just going to follow the dude around. And I, I just know that if they were to change his name to Uso, people would shit all over it. 
even though they constantly chant Uso at him. Grimes tags in and they both lay kicks into Trick. Grimes hits a running kick and then gets two. Malablind tags in and gets launched by Trick into Grimes, which is always badass. Grimes and Mellow trade blows and Trick and Solo both get tagged in. Solo kicks Trick into the corner and hits a running hip attack on him. Solo eats a boot from Mellow and then a swinging neckbreaker from Williams. Back from break and Mellow hits Solo with a headlock. Solo gets back up and blasts both men down. They return the favor by tripping Solo and Hayes leaps over the ropes and nails a boom! Thanks, Vic. No, he hit, hit an elbow drop. Trick takes in and Grimes gets a hot tag. He takes out both Mello and Williams and then does a double Rana, which never looks good. Grimes goes up top and he crossbodies Mello. Grimes is about to hit the cave-in, but Solo takes himself in. And Hayes hits a springboard elbow on Grimes, but Solo then catches him with a Uranagi. Grimes hits the cave-in on Trick, and Solo splashes Mello, and they get the win. The ref proceeds to hand the belt to Solo instead of Cameron Grimes, and Solo just kind of slowly hands it over to him. Let me tell you. Carmelo Hayes is a fucking superstar. We've, we've talked at length about how amazing this dude is. Solo Sokoa, I, I t- preached about it last week. The dude is fire. Cameron Haha Grimes is a lot of fun. He's a very good worker. He's a very good character. Trick Williams. This motherfucker's impressing me. He has come so far in such a little time. Now, he's still probably the weakest of the, the four people in this match, but he's better than a lot of people I've seen. He definitely has the ability to talk, he definitely has the look, he's got the size, and the wrestling is coming around. And yeah, sometimes that takes a little bit longer, but it's easier to train someone how to be a good wrestler than to train them how to be a good talker. And Trick is a great talker. So everything about this match I really enjoyed. Uh, Trick and Mello losing, eh, if it, if it builds to something... It builds to something. And, of course, we've got uh, Carmelo versus Cameron Grimes coming up at In Your House. So, him losing... Yes, I understand he took the pin. But that doesn't really bother me all that much. Um, I'm not sitting there and being like, Oh, Melo's ruined because he got pinned. No, no, not at all. Not at all. He got, he got pinned by Solo Sokoa, who is another of the challengers. The North American title scene right now feels a lot like the, like, I'm, I'm not putting it on this level. I'm just, comparatively, it feels a lot like how it was in the Attitude Era, where, like, everybody that was in the title picture for a championship had an opportunity to one-up one another. Like, that's why you had a lot of, like, the shorter reigns, because everyone felt like a legitimate contender. Everybody in this match, save for Trick Williams, but that's not his fault, feels like you could put the North American Championship on him, and it would fit. You know, Trick, eh, maybe eventually, but right now, like I said, he's still kind of lagging behind everyone else, but if they were to go full bore with the Trick Mello tag team, that would be something. Now... I don't want to see Carmelo just be a tag team guy because I think he's so much better as a solo guy, but if you added 
a dude to this and made Mello like a stable leader with Trek and another uh, dude as like the take team with them. I think that would work really well. Um, I don't know who that would be, but they have a lot of people coming in that I feel like would fit the mold of these guys. So it was good. I really, really good first match got me real pumped up too. And I was like, let's go. Dinner time was with Pretty Deadly. They claim they are scared and can't sleep. Then they laugh and say, no, 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 we're not really worried. Then they do a side plate check, which is apparently apparently their gimmick, because they have side plates that say pretty, pretty deadly, and then they just like thrust them into the camera. It's great. Pretty deadly are two tasty snacks, and it's a one meal deal, baby. Can I just say? I, uh, people will oftentimes try to take things a little bit too seriously with wrestling. Pretty Deadly is just fun. They're just, they're funny fucking dudes. They're fun. They're really good wrestlers too. And they've got such as charisma and they're, they're, I wouldn't even put them as goofy. Like they, yes, I know they walk around in like fucking uh, cut off shirts and stuff like that, but yeah, man, like everything about them just screams like you need to hate these fuckers. And that's perfect. They, they, do such a good job on it and you know it, it was a little worrisome putting the tag team titles on them but they're doing a great job with them and we're starting to now build up where there's a bunch of tag teams that are kind of in the running for them and that's good Lash Legend arrives for her match she is facing Tatum Paxley in the first round here as Lash goes to the ring, as we do quite often at NXT, she just gets to sit there for a little bit while we watch a video. We are introduced to Thea Hale, and she is 18 and from Pittsburgh, and she has signed with the WWE. They show her, do show her doing a tryout, and she looks good. Uh, Hale has sort of like the Amazonian kind of gear, like she's like the little, like, uh, for lack of a better word, the dicks hanging off of her on her. Um, but it, it works for her, and uh, yeah, she says that, yeah, she's coming to take the NXT universe by storm and the women's division by storm, but first she has to graduate high school. This woman signed a contract to work for WWE and she's in high school. That's insane. So, Thea Hale, Thea Hale, coming soon, and uh, she's 18, so it's still a little bit of a gray area, so I'm just going to move forward. Tata Paxley heads to the ring. She blasts her twat into the sky and whips her hair around. Lash runs and shoulder tackles Paxley. Look at that. It was a match that didn't start with a tie-up. Love it. Love everything about it. She drops a heel into Pax, and Wade tells us about Pax and Ivy Neal doing squats on Twitter. Just a, a second. I, um, I'll be right back. Not. All right, I am back. Uh, sorry about that. Um, just had to take care of something real quickly. Uh, okay, so the starting the match without uh, a tie-up. 
what Lash did was a very heel thing to do. And it shows a lot of growth on, on her part. Uh, speaking of growth. And it breaks up the monotony to me. Where, you know, how a lot of like movies and shows, like they have to start by introducing everybody and things like that. And then there's a lot of like cliche things that happen in order to do things. To me, a collar elbow tie-up is a very cliche way to start a match. It's like, I get it. You don't want to, uh, you know, blow your load right off of, yep, the, off the bat. But you also like want to have people kind of get these little unexpected starts like Lash just charging at her. It's good. I, I like it. Pax kicks Lash in the leg, then the head, and she gets a two count. Paxi puts Lash on her shoulders and starts to stand up, but Lash jumps down and wraps her leg around the ring post. I am going to be honest, I don't know what Paxley's finishing move is, but it, she's apparently she sets it up like an execution. That's what that move was, right? Like the or, uh, electric chair drop kind of thing. Like putting somebody up on, on your shoulders. Uh, I don't know what she was after that because, spoiler alert, she doesn't hit that move in this match. But, uh, yeah, this was... I guess, I guess this was Lash countering her for the first one. Because this is going to happen a couple times. Uh, with the different reasons for why she can't hit the move. So the first one, Lash just counters it because it's too early in the match. Got it. Lash eats an elbow and then forgets what move she's going to do next. Uh, she cartwheels over and pulls Pax's leg back. Lash then wraps her, the leg around the bottom rope and thrusts into it. And then she gets a two count. Lash puts Pax into a stretch muffler. Nope, not a joke. She legit put her in a stretch muffler, which is actually one of my favorite submission moves. And storytelling. It made sense. She's working over Pax's leg and she's doing a stretch muffler to that leg. Pax pulls herself up using just core strength, which is fucking impressive to do, and punches Lash in the face to get out of the stretch muffler. Uh, also, I like stretch muffler because it's very fun to say stretch muffler. Pax tries to pick up Lash again and put her on her shoulders. And this time, because of the fact that her knee is fucked up, she drops down and lets her go. Pax then just suplexes her. She grabs the knee, and Paxley hits a reverse twisting moonsault that almost misses, but it hit, and it was beautiful. Pax tries for the finisher again, and Lash pump kicks her and gets the three. Tatum looked really good in the match, and Lash didn't look horrible. She actually did pretty well. I put... Lash on the same sort of level as Trick at this point, as two people who, when they first debuted, were hot, hot garbage, and now have gotten much better. Now, I don't put Lash on the same level as uh, a Mike Work as Trick, but she does. She is able to get some actual legit hit heat on her, which is good. And again, this match looked really good. There was just one sort of miscommunication in the match, but again, it's it's two very new people uh, working a match together, and that's going to happen because you don't you don't have them working with like a ring general, and so you have to sort of pick the person of being like, all right, you're going to lead, 
and just kind of do the best you can. That'll come in time. I mean, all of these women are under 27 years old. They have a long, long career ahead of them if everything goes well and if they want to keep doing it. Tony D'Angelo says it didn't have to be this way with Santos, but now he's got to destroy him. I went ahead and figured out the names of his two associates. Channing Stax Lorenzo and Troy Two Dimes Donovan. Not the worst names. Uh, essentially, they go by Stax and Two Dimes, which is fine. Um, but yes, <laughs> that is their names. And Stax asks if they're going to go all Balboa speed bag on them like they did to those kids in grade school, or should they go ahead and do what they did to Ray Ray uh, on the corner? And Two Dimes is like, you mean the first time that we messed up Ray Ray or the second time? And D'Angelo says, you know what, I like the second time better. They're going to do what Tony did to Beanie, I think is what he said, at the deli, uh, which apparently is called Hell in a Handbasket. Is that, is that a thing? Is there... Is this a thing? Like, the Mafia has, like certain ways they fuck up people and they have code names for them i don't care if it is a real thing or not it is fucking funny that they're because i i almost feel like that they're riffing and they they're just coming up with this shit at the, at, at the top of their head which tickles me um Stax reminds him that yo hell in the handbasket's a solo job and tony's like you know what no more problems at the bakery when i did it and tonight there's gonna be no more problems because i'm gonna beat santos alone the accent has gotten a little bit a little bit more heavy but it works because you know what like i know people were shitting on it about the fact that like oh he's a mafia character and everything but it's like yeah man i've watched fucking movies that have mafia mafia characters and this is exactly the way they talk and it's entertaining as shit all right so i'm fine with it because it's entertaining as shit and the two dudes that he's with i thought didn't really have anything before and they were just kind of sidekicks but this little interaction with them they did a good job i think Stax lorenzo is a, a little bit more uh, advanced than two dimes donovan because he seemed to have a, he had the accent on a little bit more had a little bit more charisma to him as well so but they're they're perfect as the, as the goons uh they don't really have a name like a, a tag team name. I mean, Stacks and Two Dimes works, but like they gotta have like a, you know, good boys or something like that. I don't know. Well, I'll figure it out. Duke Hudson is staring off into space while dinner time tells us that NXT 2.0 is going on the road. Good, good. I always enjoyed when NXT 2.0 goes on the road because you get different crowds, you get different crowd reactions, and uh, these guys get a little bit of a taste of what the road life will be because right now they all live in Florida and just sort of commute to work you know so it's good to get them kind of experience on like look man this is gonna be a hard fucking life and this is what you're gonna have to do so yeah I'm, I'm excited to uh, to see what they do when they get on the road she asks what's next for this big dumb idiot he says he doesn't care what the WWE or NXT universe wants. 
He needed to clear his mind, and now he knows that nobody can measure up to him because he's tall. Something slams in the background, and Braun Breaker comes walking through and yells, Hit my music. And of course, <laughs> Duke Hudson's just like, The fuck, dude? Like, I'm doing an interview here. Braun says, uh, Braun gets into the ring, I should say, and he says to Gacy, that Gacy left him in a field and then invited him to join him. And here's the deal. Gacy can kiss my ass and he should have finished the job because now Breaker's coming to put him unconscious? Is that what you meant to say? Put him unconscious. Also, are we sure that this isn't Scott Steiner in a mask? Because, holy fuck, he sounds exactly like him. Also, are we sure that Scott Steiner didn't do something to his brother's wife because this guy sounds exactly like Scott Steiner and not like Rick. Gacy's music hits and Gacy is in the Bukaki Tower. He has his two masked morons with him but of course we still don't know who they are which at this point I'm almost thinking that they're just two random guys each time and not the same guys because otherwise why wouldn't you just show them? Braun invites him down to go fight in the ring, and Gacy says, Braun, you're so predictable. You know, he's not happy that Braun uh, turned him down, but Gacy's going to go ahead and give him a one-on-one -on -one match in the future anyways. But this time, it's time to up the stakes. You see, Braun has uncontrollable rage issues, and it's probably the steroids, but moreover... Braun kind of just sees red and snaps. So, what's going to happen is that since Gacy knows Braun deserves to kick his ass all over the arena and do whatever he can to get his revenge, at NXT in your house, the match stipulation is going to be that if Braun gets himself disqualified, Joe Gacy will win the belt. And Braun tells him, you're on. I... It depends on what they do here. I dig the stipulation uh, because it is a perfect heel stipulation for things. Because it's like, hey, you know, Gacy will most likely try to cheat, and if they play the match right, and he keeps kind of goading Braun into almost getting himself DQ'd, it can make for a really entertaining match, and, and you know, can make it a, a memorable match. So I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Indy Hartwell tells us she is tired of feeling sorry for herself, and for the first time ever, she's flying solo. Indy calls out Mandy Rose. She says Mandy is the measuring stick of the women's division, so let's see how Indy measures up when she takes that stick and shoves it into Mandy. No. <sighs> sorry. Uh, the Viking Raiders arrive. Well, at least someone's booking them. While they're making their way to the ring, dinner time is with Wesley. And Wesley is informed that Zion Quinn is not medically cleared, so his match is off tonight. Wes says, of course, it's another match that Quinn is ducking him on, so whenever Quinn decides that he is ready, when he can get himself cleared, then he'll be waiting for him. 
Nathan Frazier then walks up and says, Wes clearly wants to be in the ring tonight, and so does he. Uh, uh yes, please. Give me that match. Inject it into my veins. Wes says he's got a lot of pent-up aggression and doesn't want to take it out on him. And Nathan says, you know what? I look forward to the challenge. Wade represents us all when he says, I hope they make that match official. Yes. So do I. The Creed brothers arrive with Damon Kemp and Roderick Strong. The Creeds take out Ivar to start, and Julius and Eric then face off. Eric hits him with a shoulder, then Ivar takes in, and they pummel Julius. Eric grabs the leg of Julius and bends it back, and Ivar takes in and shoulder thrusts Julius. Eric gets back in and hits a splash for two. Brutus then gets in and he starts working over Eric. Brutus Germans Eric, which is no small task. Then he picks up Ivar and just gently places him on the top ropes. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, how... How do you fit that much strength into that dude? Julius drop kicks Ivar off of the top ropes. Like, gosh, these guys are so fucking talented. Brutus goes up top and cannibals both men. We come back from break, and Julius and Eric are in the ring. Brutus takes in and Julius side slams his brother Eric. Or Julius side slams his brother into Eric, I should say. Eric sends both Creed brothers out, to the, out of the ring and gets the hot take to Ivar. Julius takes in and Ivar takes them both out. Ivar hits a ton of elbow strikes to Julius's face and then cannibals into him. Brutus takes in and Eric takes back in because, you know, fuck psychology. Eric takes Ivar back in and he hits Julius down and then takes back out again. While I'm normally a, a big fan of, like, the quick takes on thing, things, when you do that kind of spot earlier of, like, oh, I'm, I gotta try to get that hot tag over there because I'm beat up, and then you immediately come back in, you know, it's uh, it's not as egregious this time as it was the uh, NXT UK uh, episode, but it was, a, it was a small little gripe in an otherwise really good match. Ivar hits a falling slam for two as Brutus breaks it up. Eric hits a German on him and then tags back in Ivar. Julius Germans Eric then jumps up top and tries to suplex superplex Ivar, but Ivar blocks him and then misses a splash. Julius rolls him up, but Eric saves the match. The Creeds and the Vikings all reset and stare at each other, and then they start to rumble. Brutus hits a kick and rolls out of the ring, and Kemp runs interference, and Roddy runs in. Julius grabs Roddy and throws him out of the ring and yells, We don't need you. He turns around, eats a kick from Ivar, who then takes an Eric, and they double powerbomb him for the win. The Viking Raiders win, and Diamond Mine argue amongst themselves. Oh, man. This was a really good tag team match. Like I said, small little gripe aside, it was really good. There was a moment where Brutus does a cannonball to the outside on Eric and Ivar, and he literally, like, landed on his feet in, like, cannonball position, and I was like, oh, he's dead. But he was okay. This match was really good. Uh, 
having Roddy interfere again, while it does take away a little bit of the Viking Raiders winning, because, you know, but the storyline there is good. And, man, I love the fact that, like, he comes running in and Julius just grabs him and chucks him right back out. Like, it was really good. It was perfect. Uh, and I was very happy with it. It sucks that Diamond Wayne is probably going to break up. Uh considering that like there's a lot of good members to it you know ivy nile is great the the creeds are great but ivy nile has already sort of been doing her own thing and the creeds are beginning to get better on the mic and they're a really good tag team so it you do almost feel like maybe they have outgrown like the the usefulness of diamond mine and of course roddy being a prick does you know, Robbie Roddy being a prick. And Roddy and Damon Kemp can kind of form up together and be good. Apparently Santos found Cruz because they're all standing there, and he says that he is always one step ahead of Tony. Santos says it's going to be one-on-one, -on -one, no legatos by his side. Cruz and Joaquin argue, but Santos says that they can help, and they know exactly how to do that, but they just won't be out there at ringside. Has Santos versus Tony been my favorite feud so far? Since watching, I, I should say. Yes, it has been. These two have been great together. Uh, I have enjoyed every segment that involves both Legato and uh, the <laughs> the Mafia. It's just been it's just been entertaining, man. And I was I was excited for the match. D'Angelo is not the the greatest in ring guy, and Santos can you know, wrestle circles around anybody, but I feel like, I was like, everything leading up to this has been really good, and Santos can pull a good match out of anybody, so I'm not, I'm not worried. Grayson Waller is shown shadow boxing as Tiffany Stratton is upset she's not in the breakout tournament, which, which is a good point, like, why isn't she? She debuted with the rest of them. She asks that Waller takes care of the Andre Chase situation. No? Okay. Alright, I think we're good. Braun is asked about turning down Gacy and facing him at In Your House. Duke Hudson walks up and tells him if he disrespects him again, he won't make it to In Your House. Braun tells him they should see each other in the ring, and Hudson says, you know what, next week sounds better. This, the, the card is already booked for this. Andre Chase and Bodie Hayward arrive. I did. Saray so is in the crowd waving the Chase U flag. Waller starts a match off with a few kicks to the gut, and Chase hits a neckbreaker and an uppercut and then eats a boot from Waller. Vic says that Bodie got his first degree in mischievousness, and Wade says that if Waller went to Chase U, he would earn a doctorate in douchebaggery. Like, come on, dude. You can't... You can't drop lines like that. You just... You murdered the guy. <clears throat> Seriously. Like, I had to pause it because I was laughing. I was like, that is too fucking good, dude. Wade gets excited because Wesley vs. Nathan Frazier was made official. I got excited, too. And just a little. Chase hits a sunset flip on Waller for two. Waller doesn't like the Chase U student section. And Chase monkey flips Waller into the corner, then hits a 
a gooch drop and stomps to the ground. He proceeds to stomp on him while the crowd spells out Chase U. Chase sends Waller over the top ropes and he lands on Bodhi. I... These guys are too good together for them to be teasing something. So I'm hoping that this was just to set up uh, Chase going to check on him. And of course, when he does, he gets back in the ring and Waller hits a rolling stunner and gets the win. Leave it at that. Don't break them up. I will be annoyed. Good match. Uh, it was, uh, you know... It was uh, it was just okay. It was probably the second weakest on the card, but still still a good match, still a, a fun one. Andre Chase still baffles me why he's able to wrestle in a sweater and slacks, but he he does it, and you know he does fine. And Grace Waller is so good. He's just he's so fucking athletic. He's he's such a dick, and yeah, just everything he does is really good. Gigi and JC are watching Katana and Caden talking shit about them. Holy hell, that was a hard sentence to say. Mandy runs in and asks if they saw what Indy said about her. JC says, why is everyone obsessed with us? And then she realizes, oh, it's because we're hot. Mandy says that retaining last week set Wendy Chu straight, but apparently not the rest of the roster. They need to show everyone how much respect to put on Toxic Attraction's name. And it starts with Indy Hartwell. Yeah, I'm down for that. Indy versus uh, Mandy. I'm not sure if that's going to be for In Your House or if it's going to be for next week right now. But I'm down for it. Roxanne Perez arrives for her match with Kiana James. While she's going to the ring, Diamond Mine are arguing backstage. Roddy says he got them a title shot, but without him, they're not going to win it. And the Creeds walk off. Roddy tells Damon to go talk to them, and he's like, You went you want me to do that? Like, I'm the, I'm the new guy. Like, you're supposed to be, you, okay, I'll do it. So he leaves, and after he leaves, Pretty Deadly arrive. They proceed to make fun of Roddy for no longer being a tag team guy. And Roddy says, how about they face him and Damon Kemp next week? Interesting. I'm going to assume it's not for the titles. Um, although that would that would be very funny if Roddy and Damon Kemp won the tag team titles that the Creed brothers are supposed to go for in two weeks. But, yeah, uh, having Pretty Deadly in the ring with Roddy and Damon Kemp will be a lot of fun. And, of course, the Creed, Creeds are going to get involved. I think that's just going to happen. Keanu James arrives. She has glasses on, which I wonder if they even have lenses in them, but... Uh, as we are told throughout this match, she's very smart. Hence the glasses. <laughs> James removes them as soon as she twirls into the ring. Is she just like a slightly shorter Jesse Alaban? I feel like she is. Also, she did a picture-in-picture -picture interview where she kind of like built herself up and she immediately took the glasses off while she was talking. So, again... I don't think you need those. We start with a tie-up, and James drops Perez to the ground. James has about a foot on Roxanne. I know Roxanne is a, a shorter girl, um, but, you know, Kiana does have a little height to her. 
I, I can't place how big she is because Perez is uh, so small, but she's at least got that size that can work for her. She front flips over Perez, so then Perez handstands over her and taunts her. Perez hits a series of arm drags, then follows it up with a drop kick for two. James catches the foot of Perez and turns her, so she is seated on the second rope and then drops her to the mat. She puts in a surfboard lock and Perez is able to flip over and pin her for two. Kana tries to lock in a Boston grab, but Perez flips her with her feet. James stomps on Perez some more and finally gets in the Boston crab. Vic just keeps repeating, is Perez going to tap? Is Perez going to tap? Is Perez going to tap? Because apparently his programming glitched a little bit. I think Wade slapped him and he was fine. Kiana hits a tilt-a-world backbreaker for two, and Perez and James trade shots, and Perez takes her down with some forearms, and then Luthez presses her. A Russian leg sweep leads to a two-count, and James stays alive. James hits a sidewalk slam for two, and then Perez hits the Pop Rocks, which is her version of the... God, I know there's a better name for it. It's the Canadian Destroyer, but instead of the of putting in like a powerbomb, you leap on the person's back first and then flip it. It's the same thing that Alexa Bliss does for her move, too. Which I'm not sure what she calls. So, with that victory, it will be Lash versus Perez in the next round. And, of course, Nikita Lyons uh, taking on Fallon Henley on the other side of the bracket. It would appear as though we're heading towards Lash vs. Nikita, Volume 2. Um, but obviously I would prefer it be Perez. I think Perez beating Nikita Lyons would be a little bit better. They could throw the whole thing, uh, throw a whole wrench in there and put uh, Perez take on, on Fallon Henley. Which I would also be fine with because all of these people are really a lot of fun. But I feel like Roxanne is doing uh, really good. We then see Idris Anofi and Malik Blade, and they are cosplaying as Tony and Santos. First of all, they're pretty fucking funny. They kind of go back and forth where Tony's like, I say Tony. Idris, dressed as Tony, is like, hold on, I gotta do a phone call, and, you know, gets on the phone, and then Malik Blade is like, I'm the... I'm the Emperor, and it's just, it was goofy. Like, that's what these guys are. They're, they're a comedy to 18 minutes, fine. Stacks and Two Dimes arrive and offer up a match with them next week. Idris accepts. That's another match I'll just, I'm just kind of interested in, because Idris and Malik are really fucking talented, and I really haven't seen too much of Stacks and Two Dimes, so I'm, I'm very curious to see what they've got to offer. Nathan Frazier walks out from the back, and he proceeds to check out a hot chick backstage, but keeps walking. And I believe that was Sophia Cromwell. I think. Dinner time is with Roxanne Perez. She asks about Roxy winning tonight, and Cora Jade runs up and just shoves her tits right into her face. Boner. And uh, that's only because, you know, Roxanne is short. But apparently... The two of them are the same age, I think, but also really good friends. They sort of talk up the fact that, like, oh, no, 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 this is Roxy's night. She should be happy because she, she won and everything like that. Electra Lopez then walks up and says, tonight isn't about them. It's about Legato. She calls Roxy an overachiever who will lose to Lash in round two, 
and Cora a loser who gets more excited about losing a match than she does about winning one. Lopez claims she's going to beat Alba Fire next week. Uh, then I guess is coming for them? Cora asks what her problem is, and Lopez is like, from the looks of things, not you two. And she walks off. That's a good burn. We spent a great amount of time in this episode setting up next week, which I love. We will have matches, and they're not matches just to have matches that are lead to, to something else or, you know, or, or anything like that. It's, it's like we're having these matches, but then also we're being like, hey, uh, here's Electra being like, yo, I'm going to phase Alba Fire next week. Uh, then I'm kind of gunning for you. You've got the whole Mandy Rose and Andy Hartwell thing. Like, they're doing a, a great job of, like, progressing through this show while still building for the next show, too. That's great. Like, that's really cool because then you don't have to sit there and, like, you know, throw it in the middle of the week a tweet of being like, hey, we booked this match. Like, everything's already done for you. You can literally put up the card for next week at the end of this episode. Which they do. Wes Lee arrives. Smoke weed every day. And Nathan Frazier is out next. They talk about how Wes had the rug pulled out from under him, and now he has to find himself here. They, of course, don't mention his tag team partner getting fired for pretending to be Hitler. But hey, you know. Nathan Frazier has a really cool fucking entrance. It's like pyro going through and smoke and everything like that. There's, he is booked like a big deal. Like he looks important when he comes out. Wes and Frazier, uh, I mean, they kind of tie up, but really more what they do is they do about 30 reversals in 20 seconds. They are running so fast, the camera guys cannot follow them. Like, they're almost off-frame by the time the camera guy has reacted and moved to, like, follow them. It's tremendous. It's it's also very fucking hard to talk about what happened in this match because there was, like, 32,000 moves done in four minutes. But I'm, I'm for it. Wes gets half a, a one count, and they both hit a stalemate. Frazier gets sent over the top ropes, but lands on his feet, and Wes knocks him off the apron and hits a suicido on him. Frazier gets back in the ring, and then immediately runs back out and hits one of his own. Frazier leaves back into the ring and eats a kick and a German from Wes, and he holds on for two. Frazier hits a kick to Lee as he is on the top rope and superplexes him, but Lee counters mid-air into a crossbody. Frazier misses on a moonsault and lands on his feet. They both hit the ropes and crossbody each other. There is a chant of, uh, this is awesome. Of course there is, but again, this was actually awesome. As they both stand back up, in comes Von Wagner, and he big boots down Frazier, and this match ends in a no contest. Wes kicks Von, and Von big boots down Lee. He then picks him up and throws him from the inside of the ring onto the announce table at ringside. The crowd chants holy shit, which gets bleeped every time. 
and yeah they slid the tip into my wet ass pussy with this match and I want a rematch so we can go balls deep seriously they showed me in four minutes what could be a match of the year candidate if given 10 to 15 minutes awesome and Von Miller Jesus Christ I don't know how many times I've called his motherfucker Von Miller because Von Wagner just for whatever reason doesn't flow out of my mouth like it should Von Miller is a football player and for whatever reason I have so many pro- I have I had to go back on my notes and replace Miller with Wagner more than once like an, like a, a disappointing amount of times Von Wagner uh, I don't know if this is going to be a sustained feud Von Wagner and Wesley but I think Wes can do it. Like, I think he can pull a really good match out of Wagner. Again, like I said, I'm much more looking forward to possibly Wesley and Nate Frazier. Even if they decide to team them up as a team, I think Nate Frazier is a great replacement for Nash Carter if they go that route. Uh, because he does have that kind of, like, laid-back attitude about him. And, like I said, these two work so fucking well together. And we haven't even seen a full match of them. They do wind up showing Sophia Cromwell watching Lee get uh, chucked 80 feet into the air. So that's definitely what we're going with, is that Von Wagner is either trying to fuck Sophia or is fucking Sophia. And that's the reason why he got pissed and attacked these guys. Lee and Fraser then walk backstage and Senga stops them. He calls them two men of their size. And Lee gets upset as he takes this as an insult. Senga claims he didn't mean any offense to Lee. And Frazier's like, later dude, this is on you, man. So Lee challenges Senga to a match to prove that you don't have to be ten feet tall to be successful here. And Senga accepts. Next week, we will have Lee vs. Senga, Braun vs. Duke Hudson, Indy vs. Mandy Rose, Stacks and Dimes vs. Thirst Trap, Alba Fire vs. Electra Lopez, and the continuation of the women's tournament. That's a lot of fucking matches and a lot of things that I'm looking forward to. Santos is in the ring and he is ready for our main event. And Tony is up next. They type start and Santos starts mat wrestling him. We get dueling chants, of course. D'Angelo gets on offense and hits a neckbreaker and then drags Escobar's face across the ropes. Santos goes for a tope, but Tony decks him once he reaches the ropes. We get back from break and D'Angelo's work on the neck. Tony rains punches into Santos, but when he goes off the ropes, Santos drop kicks him. Tony takes the powder and Santos does finally get his tope suicido onto him. Escobar hits a senton to get back inside and then breaks the arm of the Don. Vic tries to use insider terms, but fails. So, uh, we've talked about it before. Escobar's whole thing is running the bingo, which he's talked about before. What Vic tries to do is he tries to say that Escobar has been in so many bingo halls that he knows what he's doing by running the thing. Running the bingo. That's what I was talking about. (laughs) It's not good, dude. You're just not that good. 
Tony fights back and drops Santos with some clotheslines. Then he belly to belly by Tony and he gives Santos a little smoochy smooch. Tony goes up top onto the ropes and he grabs Escobar and they both stand up on the top turnbuckle. Escobar then leaps and hits a Hurricane Rana while Tony is standing on the top ropes. At this point, they don't even bother trying to bleep it out. They just cut the audio. Because the crowd is chanting, holy shit, of course. Because it was a holy shit moment. Both guys are great. They're fine. They hit, hit it perfectly. So, not any, any problem at all. But while they are down, Tony crawls over and he's looking for, I believe, a lead pipe. That he has hidden in the ring, but he can't find it. And we hear somebody say, you looking for this? And we see that Legato are on the entryway and they are holding on to his lead pipe. They get attacked from behind by stacks and dimes, and while this is going on, Santos grabs some brass knuckles from the other corner, and he nails Tony with them, and he gets the win. Man, good main event match. Just a tremendous match. And with the use of the brass knuckles, with the uh, interference from both guys, this isn't over. And I'm glad it's not, because this has been so much fun. Love it. And, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what we got next on this. Because, yeah, this ain't over. Joe Gacy pops up on screen and says Braun has uncontrollable rage inside of him. His lack of control will deliver Gacy full control of the NXT Championship, the brand, and the world. He then villain laughs as we go off the air. I don't know that we needed that towards the end there, but it was alright. I, I get it. You're, you know, you're still trying to build them up. All in all, really good episode. Uh, better than last week, I thought. Which I thought last week set a pretty high bar for it. So, um, I'm hoping that next week won't be a letdown. But with the card that we've got so far, I don't think it will be. Like, I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to it. There was a lot of really good moments in this. And, man, like, the... The characters in NXT 2.0 are just a lot of fun. And I know that some of them are sort of outdated characters, but the people portraying them are doing a good job of it. And, you know, like like I said, man, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And I, for one, love watching the development of these younger guys. You know, that's why, that's what drew, drew me into NXT to begin with, when back when it was the original like Seth Rollins Biggie days, you know, where it was guys who had to work their way up and, and, and get it and we you know, we lost that a little bit when we went to the super indie kind of thing. And now we're back to it again where it's like you can watch a guy one week and be like, eh, he was okay. And then in like a week or two later you'd be like, Wow, he's doing a lot better. Like like or sh- or she's really improved on the mic or things like that. It's just it's really good and I'm happy. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm going to go ahead and sign off on this one. So thank you for listening. And I'll see you on the next one. (gasps) Bye-bye.